Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Herb Sargent. He's the president and CEO of Sargent. So, Herb, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Tats. I'm looking forward to it because I've seen some great posts on um, leadership and how to treat employees and stuff like that. But when did this sort of, you know, your path in the construction industry start? My path started as a, as a young boy, actually. My, my grandfather started this construction business nearly 100 years ago now. But as a young boy, we, uh, we live very close in proximity to some of the operations, the, the home office and the home shop. So I spent a lot of time around the shop and with mechanics and around heavy equipment and then took uh, a laborer's role on when I guess I was 16. So, and moved on from there. I mean, at any time, did you consider doing anything else? I wanted to be a major league baseball player, but you have to have talent to do that. So, <laughs> so I had to fall back on something that I could really develop some talent on. Yeah. And how did your sort of development and career progress? So again, I started as a laborer. And, and then uh, when I was 20, I guess I started working full time and started as kind of like a foreman in training at that point in time. And from there, you know, moved it up to foreman, then to superintendent, then to uh, project manager. And then at, I think, 1988, it was that our, our company sold to a, to a company from Paris, France. So I, I stayed for a few years after that and then left and started my own business with my brother called Sergeant and Sergeant. And then about 13 years after that, we were able to buy the old family business back. Oh, wow. Okay. Tell me about starting a, a business with your brother. It's strange going from a business that's been established for, at the time, six decades, you know, and, and uh, at the time there were no cell phones, so everything was on two-way radios. I'm talking about the early 90s now. You know, we just get on the two-way radio and call for whatever it was we needed, and it showed up the next day. And starting in a business where you really literally don't even have a shovel to start with, you know, and and learning the business literally from the ground up that way was really quite an education for me. And and I think if, if I had a thousand times to do it over again, I'd do it that same way 999 times. Wow. Okay. I mean, what were some of the, I mean, maybe, maybe you didn't have anything, but what were some of the resources or things that kind of got you through? Because you said it was kind of a process. You don't regret it. it you, that's the way you do it. But what did it look like for someone that's kind of in your shoes? You'll laugh at this. I think one of the resources that got me through was ignorance. And, <laughs> and, and, and when I say that, I mean that so many things that we were able to do most people would say you can't do that in a business and and we didn't know you couldn't do it in a business so we tried it and and i mean it wasn't always roses trust me on that we stubbed our toe a number of times through the process but you know not not having the benefit of an mba to slow me down on those things that that most people would have said didn't work or wouldn't work is probably one of the great resources i had is as much as i it may sound kind of funny but it, it was really just 
you know, getting up every morning and, and kind of bullying through. I can't say I had a grand plan. There was no grand vision. This was just Herb's going to earn a living. <laughs> you know, the, the, the will, you know, uh, certainly is, uh, I can feel it. But so what are some of the things that someone, let's say, with a traditional business education said it, you know, won't work that ended up working? I think, uh, you know, the construction business is highly capital intensive. And so when you start a construction business with very little capital, which I did, there's odds against eventual success. And, you know, so overcoming and I had to get performance of payment bonds. So I had to overcome the negative connotation of a new business in order to get those. So and there were some naysayers in that world. I mean, I had to knock on a lot of doors before I finally got somebody to take on the bet. In effect, is what they're doing. They're betting on you. You know, when when they write a performance and payment bond for you, they're they're betting for you on you. And it took a while to get the, to get the right person to make that bet. Yeah, and and I'm not sure if you even asked the question, but why did that you know that first person or that one person bet on you? Do you have a sense of what they saw? Well, I did have an, an agent, a bonding agent. His name is Bob Shaw, and and he was. He was a proponent for me. So he was helping me sell, you know, to the underwriters that this could work in spite of, you know, I think the biggest number on our balance sheet was $9,860. And, you know, in spite of that, we had a, a business plan, at least to get through that project that he helped me build the case for and eventually, you know, got somebody to support it. Yeah. And as the business grew, what sort of lessons did you learn? Oh, man, it was, you know, uh, starting that business versus staying in the former family business where, like I said, everything basically because there was such a long history, you know, if you wanted a bond for a project, you just called and got a bond for a project. So learning the sensitivities that banks and bondings have around the financial capacities of a construction company was a really important thing, you know, that they they want to know. I mean, they're willing to take a bet, but they don't want it to be much of a bet, right? They they want it to be a pretty sure bet. And so learning their sensitivities and how you can run your business uh, to kind of cater to those sensitivities, especially in your early years, is pretty important. And, and that really is, you know, to, to build up some financial margin of safety so that you can, you know, you've got work and capital and balance sheet ratios that support the program that they that they want to write for you. Yeah, definitely the financial aspect of securing funds is a big aspect, but also managing the people. What did you learn there? You know, I had been in in management roles in the past in the former company. And, you know, it, it's odd to think about it. This was 30 years ago, right? That I did this and and, you know, back then there was no internet, right? There was no podcast, there was no anything. So we, we needed help. We ran an ad in the paper and over the course of about a week and a half, we got 200 applications. So, I mean, getting people in those days was not a problem at all. So we could be pretty selective with what we took. So we, we really got some great people. And, and even before I started in business, I had contacted some people that I knew that I knew would be good people to uh, 
to support the business and and frankly to help motivate me. And so we we just had some really good people. My brother was was a strong piece of it. He's younger than me, but he was a strong piece of it. And even though I was fairly young at the time, still I think I was 30 years old. And it was it was I'd had a lot of good experiences and a lot of good mentors in my life that that had taught me how to manage well. And so I I enjoyed the benefit of that. Yeah, wonderful. And I I did notice that you know it, you mentioned in your your company that your employee owners. So yeah. structurally, something has changed at some point. Yeah. So I mentioned that that we had bought my grandfather's old business back in two thousand five, and when I did that, I knew that there was I would have to make another ownership transition at some point in time, and uh, I have two children who who have interests that I greatly respect that that don't lie within the construction industry. So I knew that I had to do something for the benefit of the the long-term employment and the stability of the company. So in 2013, 10 years ago, we put the company in what's called an employee stock ownership program, which is a trust that owns the shares in the company that are then allocated to the benefit of the employees. So that's been about 10 years. And, and with that, we kind of took the ownership transition piece off. So a construction company needs to, there well, many transitions, but the two major ones are ownership transition and management transition. So we took the ownership transition off and I was about 50 years old when that happened. So I had a long runway still to get to the management transition. So we kind of separated those two things. Quite often companies, you know, they go through an ownership transition and the management transition at the same time. We separated those and, uh, and it's really worked well. Yeah. So at some point you, you deal with the management transition, but just talking about a general sense, because, you know, obviously a company like yours that set these things up has thought some about this, you know, just in general, any company in terms of succession or management, what do you want to see in a management group, in your opinion? We codified our core purpose and values a few years ago, and really it was it was built upon what worked over 90 years in the business, and it was really centered around investing in people, doing the right thing, owning our craft, and winning in the field. Those are the four values, and we just want people that are aligned with that, you know, throughout the field, but of course at the management level, we don't really want people that are just aligned with that. We want people that are going to drive that. So that's an important piece of the management transition up and down the line. Yeah, I like that. Not aligned, drive that. Okay. And then on the investing in people, what does that look like for you? For us, well, the, the employee stock ownership plan or what's commonly referred to as ESOP, that's one way that, that we invest in people that they get a direct benefit from the company's performance. So that's just one way. But we also, a lot of ESOPs don't have a 401k plan or they don't match the 401k plan, we continue to match because I feel I feel very strongly that people ought to be encouraged to participate in their own financial future. So by doing that, by matching the same as we always have, about three percent of people's salaries, and then the ESOP, it's about a, it's about a thirteen to fifteen percent of their pay benefit every year. So that's just like one way. That's that's just the financial piece, but. Also, we feel strongly that our people 
we don't want them to be just good workers. We want them to be good humans. We want them to be good community members, good family members. We want to make them aware and give them the resources that they need to manage their lives accordingly. So I mentioned margins of safety earlier. And the way I look at it is what we really want to do is build everyone's margins of safety in terms of financial, in terms of professional, relational, and physical, you know, their health. So we really want them to be tuned into all areas of their lives so that when they retire, uh, they can retire with a surplus of dignity and they don't have to, you know, they don't have to be concerned about whether they're going to have enough to live on, what their health is. You know, if we do the right things with them, we're educating them around their health and our wellness program. We use Ramsey Solutions. We make that available to our folks for personal finance education. And then the professional side, we have we have a workforce advancement team that is working hard to, in a, in a lot of ways, is just getting started, but trying to grow people and, and determine the pathways, de- determine the, the types of skills they may have or may be able to learn to move them up. And so it's really for us, it's all about in our company, it's all about developing people is the key to future transitions, right? To future management transitions and succession. And if we don't develop the people, we may end up with a, you know, with a cavity behind a transition. So we want to make sure we've always got a good, strong bench of people there. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a very holistic approach of being helpful. We're trying to, and, and, you know, I will admit there's some aspirations to what I just said. I mean, we're not where we want to be, but we're trying to, in some ways, it's just telling people there is such a thing as a margin of safety. Right. I mean, the, the way I try to explain to people is, would you drive across a rope bridge across the Grand Canyon with your family if it said it was rated for one ton? And everybody says no. Right. But would you go across it in a bridge that was designed and built? And everybody says, well, yes, we would. Well, what's the difference? And the difference is the margin of safety. And so the way I look at it is and we try to the way I try to talk to our folks is there's a chance that a wave on the beach will wash up a sandcastle, but it's pretty unlikely. So if you want a sandcastle on the beach, you have to build it. You have to be intentional about putting those pieces in place. And, you know, to me, the sandcastle is is really a metaphor for your eventual retirement and, and later part of your life. So how do we how do we get intentional about building that sandcastle? And that's really through all those those four areas. And the relationship piece is one that's it's difficult for us to tell people how to be good, you know, relationship people, how to be a good husband, how to be, but just thinking about being that a good husband, good father, good brother, sister, son, just even thinking about that. I think there's a lot of people that don't even, it doesn't cross their mind that there can be a difference. You know, some people are going to be listening to this and say, that's a great idea, but where do I start? What do you, what do you tell those people? We try to start with, vision casting what do you want it to look like you know what what do you what does success look like to you in in this arena and try it's to us we're really talking a, a lot about intentionality but it's hard to be intentional about something that you haven't envisioned yet so what do you want it to look like what do you want your relationship to look like what do you want your health to look like what do you want your personal finances to look like what do you want your profession and trying to 
past your own vision and we can help with some of those things. But without that vision, it's hard to begin to, what I found is if I just write down the things I want to accomplish, I almost like subconsciously, intentionally, if there's such a thing, it's it's like a subconscious thing that, you know, we work toward, even though we're not saying, oh, I got to get up at six in the morning and run for a mile, but I want to be healthy. So I'm going to watch what I eat. You know, that's the kind of person I want to be is I want to be the person that's healthy. So I'm going to watch what I eat. I'm going to get some exercise. So they have to, to us, they just have to determine what they want to be on the other side of what they are now. One of the, uh, I've got a coach whose name is Alex Judd. And, and one of the things that he says is as humans, we're one of one of two species. And I guess dolphins are the other one. I don't know how we know that, but we can evaluate where we are today and we can just decide to be something different in 30 days and 60 days, five years. We can evaluate and we can set a vision for that and we can work toward that vision. Without that vision, we just kind of plot along daily and we don't, you know, we don't make much gains, I don't think. So it's it's much for us, it's about trying to establish the vision. Makes sense. I mean, that's that's a great advice. Is there anything I did not ask you, but you wanted to share? Well, that's a good question. We're just so in our company, and I'm so grateful to have the leaders in the company that we do. We're so fortunate to have, you know, up and down the line from the laborers that, that we try to keep moving ahead, that we just want to keep building people. So our purpose, we say our purpose is to build and respect resources and the way I look at it is our purpose is to build people that then go on to build great projects. Wonderful way uh, to put it. Thank you, Herb. Thank you for sharing your story and insight. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on here. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash tats talks for video of today's podcast hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com